Will, are you blessed? Is anybody blessed? Well, if you're not blessed, it's your fault because we, a, way, a few weeks ago, we started a message series called Blessed, and the very first message was called Decide to be Blessed. I can't decide for you. I can only decide for me. You have to decide for you. And in that very first message, we saw that, that God said, there are two paths before us, the path of life and the path of death, the path of blessings and the path of curses. And then he says, choose the path of life. Choose the path of blessings. And then he says, I call heaven and earth to bear witness this day to the choice you make. And so we looked at that and how we have to make a choice and make a decision to walk in God's ways. And now today we're at the very, very end of this message series. This is the last part. And uh, the reason that we did this series, the reason that it was on my heart was because last year I you know, with all the COVID stuff, and there was a lockdown for a number of weeks, and then there was a reopening time again, and, and then regulations have changed. You can go to a restaurant, you can't go to a restaurant. You can go to a restaurant with someone that you live in the same house as, and you eat with every day anyway, but you can't go, and, and, all, and it changes all the time. And I noticed how unsettling all of that seemed to be for, for most people. Now, I understand that non-believers live in fear. I understand that. Let's be honest. If you thought that this little life, this short little life that the Bible describes as being like a vapor or a puff of smoke that's here one minute and gone the next, if you think this is all there is, and there is nothing forever and ever after that, then I understand why you live in fear. And if you think that you have to fix everything in your own life yourself, and if you think that you're responsible for every single thing that might happen in your life, and, and, you, and that you have to, if you don't plan everything out for tomorrow, then it will be a disaster. If you think all of that, if you think you're your own God, <laughs> and there is no other God, then I understand why you would live in fear. I would. I don't want to be my own God. I know how pathetic I am as a human, let alone as a God, okay? I need someone greater than me, someone better than me, someone who knows more than me to be my God. So if you think this is all the life you've got there, I understand the panic and I understand the fear. But one of the things that has really Got, got to me a lot, is realizing how many Christians also live in fear. Now, can I just say that fear, being free of fear, is not the same as being foolish, okay? Like, you don't walk out into the middle of the highway and say, well, I'm not going to live in fear, so I'm just going to walk out in the middle of the highway. Well, you won't live in fear, but you won't live at all. I mean, that's just basically it, right? So, I want to be clear that I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm not talking about being stupid. I'm not talking about, um, I mean, did anybody see these videos last year of people licking door handles to see if they caught COVID or not? Like those people deserved to catch something. 
And COVID or not COVID, like there's a lot worse diseases. Out, like don't go, you don't lick door handles, okay? Imagine that we have now progressed to such a level of civilization that we have to teach people you don't lick door handles or eat Tide Pods. The, you don't do those things, right? I mean, like, you, you lift up the, the hood of your car, and it used to say on the battery, it used to give you the details of, the, of how to top up the battery. Do you know what it now says? Do not drink contents. And we think we're cl more clever than previous generations, you know? Anyway, so, I don't know why I got off into that, but, but Christians live in fear, and I've noticed this. I've noticed, and so, I'm not saying ignore all all hygiene, ignore all health. I mean, like, we here at Gateway are doing everything in our power to mitigate the spread of viruses, okay? We're doing all this stuff. I'm not saying being fool be foolish. I'm not saying walk out into a highway. You don't walk out into a highway. But on the other hand, if you have to cross a road, you find a wise way to cross the road. You, you don't just sit there and cry and bite your nails and say, I'll never get to the other side of the road. You will find a bridge, you'll find a crossing, you'll wait till there's no track, you'll do, you can use wisdom and still live your life without fear. Now, I've noticed that Christians are scared of all kinds of things. Uh, they're scared of getting a virus and being sick. They're scared of uh, not wearing a mask. They're scared of wearing a mask in case it's the government brainwashing them. They're scared of getting a vaccine. They're scared of not getting a vaccine. Um, they're scared of actually even having a, an opinion about anything because somebody might say that offended me. But most worrying of all is the fact that many Christians are scared of death. Now, we're not supposed to go looking for death we're not supposed to go running into highways or doing foolish things. God has given us our gift of life, and it's a precious gift, and we should look after it. However, the Apostle Paul said this. He said to live. Now that I'm a believer, I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. I'm not worried about death because I actually have, have already died. My old life died and Christ now lives in me. And he says, to live is Christ. To die is gain. And I've come to the conclusion that many Christians don't believe that. And that, brothers and sisters, is what the whole gospel is all about. Through Christ, we receive forgiveness of sins, are brought into a relationship with God, and are given the gift of eternal life. Therefore, to die is gain. When a Christian dies, they have just graduated to a better place. Now, some people say, well, it's not really dying that I'm scared of, or uh, it's not that I'm scared of not going to heaven, it's the fact that I don't want to leave my family behind and they'll grieve for me. And so, okay, I get that. The Bible even acknowledges that. Paul said when he was arrested for his faith and he was in prison and he didn't know whether he was going to be executed or not, he wrote this to the believers. He said, I, I, I feel torn between two things. On the one hand, I would rather remain alive so that I can still be with you. That would be better for you, he said. 
But on the other hand, I would much rather depart this body and be present with the Lord. That would be much better for me. Now, I want to just talk a little bit about the blessing of heaven, because last week we looked at God's providence throughout, from birth all the way to conversion, all the way to death, how God guides us throughout our lives. But now we want to talk about the end of our life, and we want to look at the blessing of heaven. And you know, heaven, heaven is something that everybody's kind of interested in. I was, I was at a checkout at a, a supermarket, and I noticed Time magazine there. It's called Discovering Heaven. So I bought it because it had lots of nice artwork and pictures in it. And it's got thoughts. So there's the Amish people and their little horses and carts there. And it's got, you see that? It's there. Nice pictures. And it's got stuff from all over the world, um, different ideas about heaven, about death, about the afterlife. Some of the stuff in it was biblical and interesting. Some was bizarre and weird. But it shows you how interested people are in the subject of heaven. I mean, everybody wants to know what happens after you die. But really, they're only interested in heaven. Like, I've never met people saying, I am really interested in hell. You know what I mean? It's heaven they're interested in. And so everyone's interested in that. And one of the reasons for that is the fact that there is an abundance of people who have had near-death experiences, who have died on the operating table or in an accident, have been resuscitated and have come back with stories. Now, that's nothing new. In fact, one of the earliest recorded near-death experiences we have was written in ancient Greece by Plato. He records the story of a man that died on the battlefield and was resuscitated. He was in the, the pile of dead bodies and came back to life and told the story of, him, of his near-death experience. So, for thousands of years, people have recorded them. But in the last 50 years or so, as medical, medical health has got better at defibrillating people and resuscitating people and all of that kind of thing, we have a lot more people that get resuscitated and therefore a lot more people that come back with stories from the other side. Now, originally, skeptical scientists thought it was like hallucinations or lack of oxygen to the brain. And, and over the last three or four decades, lots and lots of major scientific studies have been done, and they've discovered that it's none of those things. Um, it is a positive, transformative spiritual experience. That's the category that it goes in. And here's, here is basically near-death experiences in heaven, NDEs or near-death experiences. So this is a typical near-death experience that someone has if they die for a few seconds or a few minutes or, or whatever. Um, I mean, like, I, I had a friend that was dead for 13 and a half hours and, and came, came to in the mortuary of Enugu General Hospital, Enugu City, Nigeria. I've actually been in the place. The doctors just let him come out and pray for people anytime, and, they, and I went in there once with him, right? And so, 
Um, anyway, but usually it's a few minutes. And so this is what a typical near-death experience is like. Not everybody has, has the whole thing, but um, so what happens is someone, their heart stops or whatever, and the first thing they're aware of is that they have left their body. Now, for some people, that's all they experience, and then they come back into their body. For instance, my mother, when she was giving birth to my younger brother, it was a home birth. And so there, there was a midwife there, but not a doctor, and there was not all the medical equipment, and there were complications, and it got quite serious. And uh, my mother says that the next thing she knew was she felt herself coming out of her body and floating up to the ceiling, and she saw her body on the bed, and she saw the midwife panicking because something was going wrong. And my mother said the thought that came into her mind was, I need to get back to my body quickly because that baby needs a mother. And choom, she went straight back into her body. And we thought we lost you there for a minute. So that's all that some people get. But some people, they go further. Some people see a light. Sometimes it's a tunnel of light. And they, they either travel to the light or they travel through the tunnel of light, very common thing. You'll see medieval paintings even of this kind of thing. And very often, if it goes further than that, they see that the light at the end of the tunnel is not a light, it's a being, it's a person, a being of light. And some of them, that's as much as they know. Some of them get even closer and say, it's Jesus, the light of the world. And they see him, they see his face, they see his face, features. Some then go even further, and they have what is called a life review. In the scientific literature, it's called a life review, where they see things, they are shown things from their life happen, good things and bad things, things that were done to them and things that were done by them. And very often what they say is, the people that come back say that I saw me saying something hurtful to somebody, but in my life, that was it, and I went on my, my way. But what I saw was how badly it damaged them and affected them. And people, all of a sudden, people realize, oh my goodness, I've been so unkind, unloving, I've gone down the wrong path. They see their life in front of them. Some of them even get a glimpse of heaven. And very often these stories are really similar, but sometimes they're, sometimes they're strange because what people say is, <clears throat> I don't know how to explain it. I can't put it into words. We'll see all this in the Bible in a moment. They'll say, I can't put it into words. I don't know. What did heaven look like? I can't explain it to you. Well, can you compare it to something? Like, no, there was these beautiful colors. What colors were they? I can't tell you because we don't have those colors on earth. Okay, what's the closest? Was it orange? Was it, no, no, it's colors that you've never seen before. And so people find it really difficult to explain what they experienced there and put it into words. So when they try to put it into words, they will, they will put it into whatever their cultural words are. Sometimes it might sound quite, okay, I can relate to that. And sometimes they'll be like, well, that sounds really weird because they're trying to express some, something that, they've never seen before, and you've never seen before. And then whatever they're told, this is not your time, you must go back, and they, and they look, 
I mean, like, I've got a couple of friends that died and came back, one, one in a car accident, and he was like, he said, I didn't want to go back into my body. He said, it looked like a dead pig to me. And I'm like, I'm not going back into that. And the Lord's, no, no, you need to go back into that. In fact, this particular friend, he was a pastor. He was in a car accident when he was in Spain. And at the same time that he was in a coma, back in Scotland, another friend who was also a pastor, who was a friend of mine and a friend of his, his son died, his teenage son died. Actually, right outside of a place of business where my brother worked, it happened, right? My brother ran out into the street and called me and said that this pastor's son had died, been hit by a bus. Well, when this pastor who was in the coma, when he came out the coma, he was still so badly damaged, his wife didn't want to tell him that your friend's son died. But when he came out, he told her that the son's friend had died. And she said, how did you know? He said, when I was coming back down into my body, I saw him on the way up. Saw him on the way up. Church, this isn't a fairy tale. Heaven's not the wonderful world of Disney. This is real. Now, if we're going to talk about heaven and near-death experiences, we better just talk about hell and near-death experiences. Because between 12 to 20% of reported near-death experiences are called, the official scientific word is, distressing NDEs or hellish experiences, right? So there are people that have the, and we must bear in mind that Jesus was clear that many people would not be saved. Many shall come in that day, and I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And so there are many people who will not be saved. Now, when it comes to hell, there's actually three different things in the Bible that we tend to call hell. Because hell is really an English, in fact, originally it's a German German word, and it got into English that way. It's not really a biblical word. And so uh, we we use the word hell for three different things in the Bible. One is Gehenna. And so the city of Jerusalem outside the wall had a big landfill site that was burning all this time, and they dumped their garbage there. And Jesus prophesied that when the Romans came and invaded Jerusalem, they would throw all the bodies into Gehenna. And some English translations of the Bible just leave it as Gehenna, that's the name of the place, but some translate it as hell, as if it's like a physical image of the spiritual hell. I would rather just leave that one as Gehenna, okay? This valley outside Jerusalem. But this, Hades in Greek, or Sheol in Hebrew, is probably really what people are talking about. It is the place of the dead, the place of departed souls. It was regarded as a place of shadows or darkness. Jesus called it outer darkness, outer darkness. Cut, cut off from the light, cut off from the presence of God. And so, yeah, there is a place of darkness, there is a place of separation from God called Hades or Sheol, but we would refer to as hell, heaven and hell. And then the Bible, we also think of the lake of fire as being hell, but what the Bible actually says in the book of Revelation is, if this was Hades, In the future sometime, the whole of Hades is cast into the lake of fire. So there's kind of three things that we call hell, 
And we need, to, we need to be aware that lots of people have that experience too. Now, today we're not talking about hell. We're talking about heaven. So let's get back to heaven a little bit. And let's just, let's just go on to our next slide here. Have a look at the three heavens. Just like I said, there was three things that we refer to as hell. In the Bible, there are three different things that the Bible calls heaven. And so we need to be aware of that. The first one is the sky. I mean, like the Bible starts, how does the Bible start? In the beginning, God created the heavens, plural, the heavens and the earth. So there's plural heavens. And as we read on, it talks about the birds flying across the face of the heavens. So the first heavens is the sky. The first thing that the Bible calls the heavens is the sky. Well, that's not what we are talking about. When you die, you don't go to the sky, okay? I know in cartoons, you're sitting on a cloud playing harps, but that ain't it, okay? You don't go to the sky. And then the next thing the Bible calls heaven is space. The Bible says the heavens declare the, glories, the glory of God, the stars tell of all his wonders, the stars, the planets, space. That's called heaven in the Bible too. But that's not the heaven we're talking about either. Not the sky, not the space, the spiritual realm, the realm of spirit. That's what we are talking about. And when we're talking about heaven, the place we go when we die is we go into the presence of God. We go to paradise. I want to show you this in the Bible. You'll find it in 2 Corinthians, and we'll find out here that Paul says that heaven is paradise. Look what he says here. He says, I was caught up to which heaven? The third. He didn't go to Mars, okay? He didn't get in a jet plane and fly in the sky. It wasn't the first heaven. It wasn't the second heaven. It was the third heaven. So what did he say about this? I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. In other words, it might have been out of his body, but it felt, he, just, he still felt like an individual. It felt so real. It was hard for him to tell. We don't know exactly when this happened to Paul, but if you read the book of Acts and you work out when the letters were written, you know there's a story in the book of Acts where Paul preached and the people were so mad that they stoned him to death. You know, and it, well, it, they stoned him thinking and left him. It says they left him for dead. And then it says the believers gathered around him and prayed and he came too. This could have been when this happened, okay? And so he says he was caught up into the third heaven. And look what he says. But I do know I was caught up to where? Paradise. So paradise is the third heaven. The third heaven is paradise. Paradise it, it comes from a Persian word, and a paradise was a walled garden. In the ancient Near East, they used to make walled gardens modeled on the Garden of Eden. 
And you, it, they would have a wall around it, and they would have fountains and water features and plants, and tropical birds would come in, in the branches and all of that kind of thing. And it was so you could go and sit in your walled garden. The walls provided protection. You were secluded. You were safe. You could pick fruit off the trees and eat it. You could enjoy the wonders of creation. You could feel blessed in your paradise. And he's saying that heaven is the eternal paradise, this place where we are safe, where we are blessed, where we are provided for, where we are protected forever. He said, I was caught up into paradise, now look at this, and heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. And so there are things that are just beyond our comprehension. But the first thing, the first word that starts with a letter P, we're going to do a few of these, is paradise. The second is pleasures. In paradise, what is there? It is pleasurable. Look what Psalm 16 says. You make known to me the path, there's another P word, we'll come to it in a few minutes, you make known to me the path of life, the path to heaven, you fill me with joy in your presence, it's another word, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Heaven is a place of everlasting bliss a place of everlasting, there's nothing unpleasant there. Everything there is pleasant. So heaven is a paradise where everything is pleasant, but look, there's also a path and there's a presence. So let's go on to the next thing about heaven. Heaven is the presence of God. Now, I know the presence of God is everywhere. God is omnipresent right? But what I mean is the manifold presence of God. The presence of God is there unveiled by anything else. The greatest thing about heaven is not that you're going to be able to eat some fruit from the tree of life or play a harp or go skipping through the universe. The greatest thing about heaven is that you will have it's called the beatific vision, the vision of God. You will be in the presence of of God forever. Well, what is God like? What is God like? The Bible says God is what? Shout some out. God is love. So God is love, so heaven is a place of love. The Bible says God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So heaven is a place of light with no darkness. The Bible says that God is spirit, and those who worship Him worship in spirit and in truth. So heaven is a place not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, where we can worship God in truth and reality. The Bible says God is holy. Heaven is a place of purity and holiness. Everything that God is, God is just, and heaven is a place where every, all justice will finally be. Everything that God is, is what heaven is, because heaven is the presence of God. Look what Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians. No, back, please. 2 Thessalonians. Um, he, he's not really talking about heaven here. He's 
talking about hell, but he, look what he says. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. What's the worst thing about hell? They will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, which means that heaven is the opposite. Heaven is where we are welcomed into the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. So, heaven is paradise, and heaven is filled with pleasure, and heaven is the presence of God. The next one is the path. What about you show me the pathway of life? We read. So, what is the pathway to heaven? Because Many people in this world think that the path to heaven is if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. You know that thing? Have you noticed that there's even been lots of TV shows made about heaven? But heaven without God, heaven without Christ. Did it, give me a wave if you watched The Good Place. Did anybody see The Good Place? Who watched The Good Place? Yeah, it wasn't that good, was it? I mean, you're a selfish, stinking sinner in this life, and when you get to the afterlife, you're still a selfish, stinking sinner because your nature's not being changed, and there's no God there, and there's no Christ there, and there's no redemption. Or what was that other one? Was it called Upload or something for the uploaded? Yeah, that was even worse. I mean, they were, as much, they were still as big a pervert after they died as they were before selfish, greedy, and everything else, eternal life without God. Did you notice in both of those shows, they eventually decided to annihilate themselves? Because living forever and ever and ever and ever and ever as a selfish, godless sinner is not heaven at all. We need Christ to change our hearts and your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds or whatever is not the path to heaven. The worst sinner who truly repents and trusts in Christ alone for salvation, the way to heaven is, is open. The, the greatest role model that you have in life but who has rejected Christ is not on the path to heaven. Jesus is the path to heaven. He told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, what is heaven like then? Let's just have a little recap here. Heaven is God's dwelling place. If you're doing the photos, you might want to take one of this. Heaven is God's dwelling place. Heaven is where Christ is today, seated at the right hand of the Father. Heaven is where Christians go when they die. When we are absent from our body, we are immediately present. I know there's some cults that say that you'd sleep in your grave until raised, but the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Heaven is the Father's house, and there's many dwelling places, and Jesus is there right now preparing a place for you, he said. It's the Father's house. It's a city designed and built by God, and I want to tell you, God doesn't mess up the roads there as bad as the 
government does down here in our cities, okay? It's a well-run city. It's a better country. I know some of you came to Canada as refugees. You left a country where things were bad in order to get to a better country. And then when you got here, you realized that the better country has the same kind of people in it as your old country. But the real better country is after this life. And the Bible, of course, calls it paradise. Now, that's when we die. We go there to be with Him. If we have, if we're on the path, if Christ is our way, our truth and our life, and we've put our faith in Him, we are on the path to heaven. We have blessed assurance of salvation. Okay, we know that's where we're going. But that's not the end of the story, because God has a plan to bring heaven to earth. God has a plan to bring everything in heaven and on earth under the Lordship of Christ. We know, even scientifically, we know that the sun will burn out in so many millions or billions of years or whatever, and then you think, well, I'm not worried about that. I won't be here when that happens. But actually, it won't burn out because the whole cosmos is going to be vivified and resurrected and given new life. Look what it says here in Ephesians chapter 1. God has now revealed to us His mysterious will regarding Christ, um, which is to fulfill His own good plan. What plan? I thought it was just a plan to save my soul. Is there a bigger plan? Yeah, there's a bigger plan. Uh, um, And he says, and this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and in earth. And you know, the Bible gives us a real glimpse of this. Uh, At the end of the book of Revelation, it gives us an amazing chapter. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. It's long, and then we're going to pray. But it has this amazing chapter, and there's so many levels of this. It talks about a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And in some ways, that is our spiritual experience now. When we come to faith in Christ, the Bible says we become new creations spiritually. And we, go, we don't go to a temple. We are the temple. God dwells with us and in us. And we become part of the church, the bride of Christ, which is also called the heavenly Jerusalem. So in some ways, this is our spiritual experience, but this also reveals to us how eventually the whole cosmos, the presence of God that's in heaven, the pleasures that are in heaven, the paradise that is is heaven will eventually redeem the whole of creation. So let's have a look at this chapter, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride. That's us. We're the bride of Christ. 
beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for the old things have gone. When, when someone who belongs to God dies, their pain is over. Their sorrow is over. Their suffering is over. Their tears are over. Maybe your tears are just beginning because you miss them, but their tears are over and they are basking in the presence of God. And listen, if I was to fall off this platform of a heart attack right now, can I just say, do not resuscitate. I ain't coming back to wear a stupid mask when I can dance in heaven for all eternity, okay? It says here, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. I, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, are you thirsty for God? Are you thirsty for the things of God? To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the waters of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these, what? Blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards and unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said, come with me and I will show you the bride, the wife. Listen, I'll show you it right now. Look around the people around you. We are the bride of Christ. We are the wife of the lamb. We are the ones that God is preparing heaven for. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon for the glory of God is what illuminates the city. And the Lamb is its light. 
Nothing evil will ever be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, who God sent His Son to come and redeem, and who the Holy Spirit, through the providence of God, prepared the way. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river, um, on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop for each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Every wrong will be righted and all oppression will be healed and soothed away. And then it says, no longer will there be a curse on anything for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him. Let's stand together. We're going to worship Him. We are His servants and they will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever 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 you will never die because Christ is your life and he cannot die. Let's lift our hands up and let's say this together. Father God, fill my life, fill my home, fill my church, fill my land with heaven on earth. May I know I serve you and may I be with you 